Good afternoon. I am Jeff Smelser, and this is Bible Quest, and we are going to be continuing our study of the book of Revelation today. Uh, Chase Byers is on screen and uh, with us, so let's welcome him. Chase, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How's it going today? Good, and Joe Works is with us. Uh, Chase in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Joe in Elmira, New York. Uh, guys, we're going to be picking up kind of where we left off. We'll take a minute just kind of to review a little bit um, where we were. Um, I, I guess let's just do that real quickly. Let's just do a quick review. We Revelation chapter one, um, John is in the spirit on the Lord's day. He sees the Lord. He, first of all, tells us who he's writing to in verse nine. He addresses himself to those with whom he is a, a sharer or partaker in in the kingdom of God and in tribulation and in the patience, the steadfastness. Uh, but specifically, I want to emphasize he's a participant in tribulation with them. Uh, the Lord tells him to address these seven churches. They are seven churches of Asia, that is seven churches of a province in the western part of Turkey. He is on an island just off the coast of Turkey. Um, he sends the messages to these churches and we see evidence of the persecution they're going through. And so then the idea of the book of Revelation is, here's what you're going through, but here's what God's going to do about it. And as we get into chapter four, we see this vision of the throne of God, and uh, there's this scroll, and it's sealed up with seven seals, um, but the Lamb, Jesus, comes, and he is worthy to open the scroll, and he starts opening the seals one by one, and he, as he does so, judgments are revealed, and we see what God is going to do about what's happening to his saints upon the earth. And one of the things we stressed was uh, it's talking about things that from that time perspective were going to take place fairly soon. And it was the solution to what they were suffering at that time. So as we get into Revelation, we should not expect that it's primarily focused upon geopolitical events in the 21st century. Does that sound like a, a summary of what we've done so far? Anything we need to add to that summary of review? Nope. Well said. That sounds really good, Jeff. Yeah, real oh, well, thank you. People. All right. So I want to I want to ask uh, one more review question. Joe, you made a point last week, I think it was, and uh, I was telling my wife about it last night, and, and I couldn't remember exactly how you made this point, but I liked the point. It, I found it interesting. It was in Revelation, the fifth chapter, and in, um, oh, uh, I'm trying to spot it now, talking about the elders, the 24 elders in verse eight, who fell down before the Lamb. You, I don't remember if it was on air or if it was when we were talking individually, privately. Yeah, yeah, I think it was afterwards that we talked about that. So, so the question always comes up: Why twenty-four? And, and, and I'll read it. It's in Revelation chapter five, uh, verse eight. When he had taken the book, the four living. This is the Lamb taking the book that's sealed with seven seals, or the scroll. When he had taken the book, and the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a, there it is, and I see what I was wondering, but I'm going to have you go back through it anyway, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the question arises, why 24? And the, the, there, there's a kind of a popular explanation. I don't know that anybody is really strongly um, convicted in the sense that they just love the popular explanation. It just seems like the only thing that people can come up with, 
me at least. Uh, but you had a thought that I, I found interesting. What was your thought? You want to tell us? Sure, sure. So it's not mine originally, but uh, I'll. But you don't have to admit that. <laughs> you disagree. Uh, feel free to disagree with me. Um, uh, so, in First Chronicles chapter twenty-four, we find that when David uh, uh, was arranging things for the temple, um, that there was an order of the priesthood, and the there were twenty-four orders of the of the priesthood. They were arranged in a number of twenty-four. Uh, for their for their work, uh, I I don't know if it was a rotation basis or whatever, but there were 24 orders of the of the priesthood, and uh, I think that that is very likely what's being described here. These 24 elders in Revelation 1 6, and then again in Revelation 5 and verse 9, there you, we have this description of uh, a kingdom of priests or 5:10. I'm sorry, uh, of a kingdom of priests. And if you notice in chapter 4 and verse 4, the 24 elders, they're clothed in white robes and they have crowns of gold. So I suggest that maybe the white robes would be connected with the priesthood and the crowns of gold connected with the kingship, kingdom of priests. Um, uh, to me, that seems fitting for what they are doing, um, uh, you know, with the prayers and everything else that are concerned there. Um so, so in Luke, in Luke chapter one, when Zechariah, who's going to be the father of John the Baptist, he's a priest, and it describes his course um, in verse, um, where is it now? Luke chapter one, verse eight, came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. That is that a reference to that arrangement David had set up, the 24 courses? I, I think that very may well be. I don't know that I could uh, could prove that. You're talking about Luke one eight. Yeah, Luke one eight. Yeah, uh, that that seems to to me to be one of those connections that I would make. Um, uh, if it, uh, if things had changed or something, I, I don't know anything about that. But that's what David had originally set up. And what did Zach was Zachariah doing? He had gone into the temple at the hour of incense, uh, and he's and he's going in there to burn the incense. Right. And, and that's what you see here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, the, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having uh, golden bowls full of incense. Um, so I, I think that may enhance uh, the point you were making. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the whole idea of a kingdom of priests is really a, uh, a pretty strong theme uh, through the, the scriptures even. Uh, I think it maybe doesn't get quite the, the billing that, that it deserves, um, uh, but we have those thoughts that are spread in various places. Uh, Exodus 19 and verse uh, 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right. Uh, that's what God wanted his people to be. Excellent. Okay. Um, so what we did last week was we, we got through the opening of the first few seals in chapter six. And um, we were noticing that, you know, by the time you get to the opening of the sixth seal, which is described in chapter six, verses 12 through 17, uh, the description is a little more intense. In fact, there's more uh, space devoted to describing the destruction, devastation associated with the opening of the sixth seal. And it seems like uh, it seems like there is a, to, to use Joe's word from last week, a kind of a crescendo. We're building to a crescendo here. But before the seventh seal, which would be climactic, before the seventh seal is opened, we have a pause 
for God's people to be sealed. So Chase, if you would, let's read chapter 7, and let's read verses 1 through through 3, first of all. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So what are these angels about to do? They're about to harm the earth. And And how are they about to harm the earth? Letting go of this wind. Right, and but they're they, they're told not to, to release the winds yet until what happens? Not until the bond servants have been sealed with God on their foreheads. Yeah, whose bond servants? Uh, the, the the Christians, I believe. Yeah, it says the the servants of our God, uh, so God's people. So we've seen this before. We've seen this concept before, God bringing a judgment, God bringing some kind of devastation, but before he does so, there's a pause, and God's people are protected. Um, tell me one. The, the, the plagues of Egypt. Yeah. How many plagues were there? Yeah, the, the tenth plague. Uh, before the tenth plague, there was a pause. The servants of God had the, the blood on the doorpost to protect them. And, and so that, that's one. There's another one in Ezekiel, the ninth chapter. Let's turn over to Ezekiel 9 here real quickly. So Ezekiel is carried away in 597 BC, um, and he begins to prophesy in 592 BC. In Jerusalem, and he, he, by the way, is, has been carried away to Babylon. But in Babylon, he is prophesying starting in 592 BC. And in 586 BC, six years after he begins to prophesy, you could say six years after Ezekiel chapter one, uh, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And the first uh, 30, what is it? The first 32, 32 chapters of Ezekiel are leading up to that. And then he receives word Jerusalem has been destroyed. For the first 32 chapters, he's talking about the sin of the people, and why they're going to be destroyed. He also talks about God's judgment upon other nations. But as he does all of this in Ezekiel chapter 9, um, he sees in a vision executioners uh, of the city. That is, they're going to execute the city. And they come, each one has a destroying weapon in his hand. But there's a man with them who has a writing Uh, utensil. And I'm going to pick up the reading in verse four. The Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in his midst. In other words, put a mark on whose forehead? Servants of God, those who are sad over these sins. Yeah, those who are, would be God's people who are perturbed by the, the wickedness around them. And then after that, uh, verse 5, to the others he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. So you see this idea, judgment's coming. And Ezekiel has been talking about the sin of the people and why it's coming, that it's coming. But then in this vision, there's this marking of God's people, first of all. 
and then go through and uh, bring this judgment upon the city. Um, and so, so that's kind of what we see here in, in Revelation 7, a mark being put upon the, the forehead of God's people. Um, how many, how many is, are, are there of God's people in chapter 7? 144,000. Yeah, so let's talk about that number a little bit. Should we assume that, that that's a literal number that, that, that you can count up at some point in time that there's 144,000 of God's people? Well, it says 144,000, Jeff. You're right, it does. It does. In chapter 5 and verse 6, it says the seven spirits of God. Ow. Oh. <laughs> And that was not, good, Chase. <laughs> it's it's not that simple, though, is it? Because we've all we've all had our Bible studies and talks with people who believe this is a literal hundred and forty. So, what is there in the text that would lead us to believe in the immediate text in the text where it's talking about the hundred forty four thousand? What is there there that would lead us to believe we should not take this as uh, a literal number? Well, maybe if if you just go back and you see this talk of holding in winds of the angels and you see these foreheads that are going to be marked the bond servants of god are people that take the 144,000 literally are they also taking those verses literally you know it's a good point i don't know that they think that, the, that these people really have anything written on their foreheads jehovah's witnesses of course they are one group to take this number very literally and and they think there's been 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and uh, but I don't think they they think that they have anything written literally on their foreheads. What else in the text? Who are in the text? It describes these 144,000 as being. It gives oh, some details okay. about them. Yeah. So, are you getting at the fact that it's describing them in terms of the tribes of, of uh, Israel? Like yeah. Got the yeah. Children tribe. So. Yeah. yeah. It's like well. Are there only Jews that are getting saved? Are they the only ones that can be a part of the 144,000? Because obviously they're Jews if they're from these tribes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then it's kind of interesting that in spite of the fact that there were vast disparities in the number of people from each tribe in fleshly Israel, there's exactly 12,000 from each tribe, whether it be a small tribe or a large tribe. And then there are a couple of tribes that are not mentioned in this. Do you notice that? Yeah, Ephraim's not mentioned, right? Ephraim's and, not and, mentioned. And uh, uh, Levi. Dan. Or I'm sorry. Levi's in verse 7. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, Dan is not. Yeah, thank you. Dan's not mentioned. Why? I've not noticed that. Why, why do you think that is? There's a lot of speculation as to why uh, Israel uh, in the Old Testament, sometimes Ephraim stood for the whole rebellious um, northern kingdom. Uh, so some, some think maybe it, it's left out for that reason. Um, there's the expression Ephraim and its idols found in Hosea. Dan ha has a history of uh, unruliness and, and, and really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, well, one, one of the golden calves was set up in Dan. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's appropriate to even go back to all those different blessings that Israel is going to give out, but Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake yeah. in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know that I need to, to, to be able to say 
uh, with certainty why those two tribes are left out. But it does appear that what we have here is meant to be symbolically represent the idea of the fullness of God's people on earth. And yet, uh, if it were literal, literally the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the literal tribes of Israel, we, we wouldn't get there. We'd be missing Dan and, and Ephraim. And so it does seem like th this is more symbolical than uh, literal. Maybe just uh, to, to emphasize that point, um, uh, we'll, we'll read about them more um, when we get over to the 14th chapter. And uh, maybe just make note in the 14th chapter, if they are literal 144,000, then we would expect the description of them to be just as literal. And in verse four, um, uh, they are male virgins. Yeah. <laughs> and so not only do we have Abraham and Isaac, uh, Noah, you know, none of those people would be included because they weren't a part of the nation of Israel. Moses wouldn't be included. <laughs> Moses and Aaron and, you know, uh, well, every good name practically that you can think of through the Old Testament, um, you know, there were some who we have no record of them being married or whatever, but um, yeah, the, the, the descriptions here are those, it seems much more reasonable to see this as figurative, the idea of virginity being purity, spiritual purity. The apostle Peter would not be included. Right. Uh, and, and so, all right. So what, 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 why then, we might just offer some thought, why pick a number then? Why 144,000 here? Um, if it's a symbolic number, what's it symbolic of? You have 12 tribes are being described. And so um, 144 is 12 times 12. Um, so maybe it's that sense of, of fullness there. And then the thousand, I think we, did we mention last week, Psalm 50 and verse 10, that's sort of my go-to passage, right. God, cattle on a thousand hills, God right. is faithful to a thousand generations, um, as this talks about. So um, maybe there's some uh, multiplying of that number. I, I'm hesitant about that because this text doesn't tell us. Um, but I don't have a better explanation for right. it. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same place. So then in, in verse 9 in start uh, thereafter in chapter 7, after it describes to us the sealing of God's people, we really kind of have a confirmation. This is talking about those who are on earth. Remember, they, they are on earth because what we can say they're on earth because the idea is to protect them before these winds are released upon the earth. If they weren't on earth, they wouldn't need to be protected from this devastation that's going to come on the earth. Uh, and I would take the winds as symbolic of some kind of judgment. I don't think it's literally angels standing in each corner of the earth. So they're going to have four jet streams coming from four different directions. Joe, you look like you've got something there on your lips. Uh, well, um, I, we talked about Zechariah last time and uh, uh, maybe just remembering um, uh, the, the sense of Zechariah 6. Um, uh, you have those, those four horses or four chariots um, uh, talking about the spirits of God um, uh, and uh, maybe just seeing the word wind and spirit being the same, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I think might help us to see this is God's judgment coming upon these people. And then in contrast to these people, there is starting in verse nine, this description of this great number that nobody can number that are 
in in heaven above and and they are said to be in verse 14 those that have come out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb uh, these are people who apparently already died or been killed been martyred they've come out of the great tribulation and um and so they're uh not up on the earth and um so then we get to the end of chapter seven so we've had this interlude, six seals opened in chapter six, chapter seven, this pause, sealing of God's people before the culmination of the judgments that are being revealed as the seals are opened. And now we're ready for the opening of the seventh seal. Anything else you guys want to observe in chapter seven? All right, let's go to chapter eight. In chapter eight, he says in verse one, when he opened the seventh seal, and, and now we're going to have a description of what happens when you open seventh seal. I just want to remind everybody, flip back to chapter six. How many verses were devoted to the opening of the first seal? Two. How many verses were devoted to the opening of the second seal? Two. How many verses were devoted to the opening of the third seal? Two. How, how many to the fourth seal? Two. To the fifth seal? Three. Four. Nine, ten, oh, three, <laughs> nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> Can't do the arithmetic. All right. The sixth seal, it was a few more. It was verses 12 through 17. Six. Uh, six, yeah. Now, for the seventh seal, you're going to have the 13 verses of chapter eight, the 21 verses of chapter 10, the 11 verses of, I'm sorry, the 21 verses of chapter nine, the 11 verses of chapter 10. And the 19 verses of chapter 11, you've got four chapters devoted to what happens when the seventh seal is opened. And then when, and let's just go ahead and let's just jump the gun. Let's get there. Let's jump to the end and then we'll come back and walk through it. Yeah, Chase. I just real, I'm sorry. When they all break the seventh seal, there's silence. And when they were opening, like you just look at the sixth seal. There's a great earthquake and the sun became black. It just this stark contrast to how different this last one is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm not going to spend any time here talking about when we get to the end of chapter 11, except to say when you get to the end of the description of what happens when the seventh seal is opened, there's a picture of victory, victory for God's people. So we'll leave it at that for now. And let's let's go back starting in chapter eight. So you mentioned this silence. What do you think silence signifies, Chase? Uh, respect, reverence, all. I think so. I think so. But then he sees seven angels and the seven angels, they have seven trumpets, one trumpet per angel. And those seven trumpets are going to sound. So when the seventh seal is removed from the scroll, the idea would be you can open up the whole, the, the rest of the scroll down. You see a description of this culminating, these culminating events, and they include angels seven of them each one with a trumpet and in turn they sound they blow their trumpets and so let's walk through this real quickly here um verses three through five i'll tell you what let's read a little bit of this joe you want to read verses three through five or do you want to just summarize it of chapter eight yeah then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, 
and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And then verse six says, the seven angels that had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound, and the first sounded, and there followed hail, fire, mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the earth was burnt up. Third part of the trees was burnt up. All the grass was burnt up. Is this the final judgment at the end of time? Um, not if it's just a third. No, not if it's just a third. Verse eight, second angel sounded. Is it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood. This idea of a mountain burning with fire cast into the sea is a figure that we see in the Old Testament. So much of, of what we see in the book of Revelation harks back to the Old Testament. Um, in this particular uh, instance, uh, Jeremiah 51, verse 25, talks about a burnt-out mountain. Let me turn back there real quickly. Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 25. And it says, um, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroy the whole earth, declares the Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down, you, you mountain. I will roll you down from the crags, and I will make you a burnt-out mountain. Um, so it kind of seems that this power that opposes God's people is being represented as a mountain that's going to be brought down. Fair enough? Yes. Verse 10, the third angel sounds. Um, what do you have there? Uh, the great star falls from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on, the, on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the, and the name of the star was Wormwood. And in, the, and in verse 12, you have the fourth angel sounding. Uh, a third part of the sun was smitten, a third part of the moon, a third part of the stars, a third part of them should be darkened, and the day should not shine for the third part of it. Again, it's not a final judgment. It's, it's not the end of time when the whole world is destroyed, um, but it is devastation. And then we get to the um, fifth trumpet before the fifth trumpet sounds in verse 13 i saw and i heard an eagle flying in mid heaven saying with a great voice woe 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 for them that dwell on the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels who are yet to sound you've got all this devastation being described and before the next three trumpets sound it's like and now you're really going to be in trouble with these next three yeah. And I want to mention this, just kind of anticipating. Later on in the book of Revelation, we're going to see the elements that, that we have that are used here in describing the events associated with the sounding of these trumpets. We're going to see those elements again in the seven bowls of, of wrath, right? Right. And so there's, there's some repetition in the book of Revelation, and we'll talk about that eventually. But anything that you all want to say on, uh, uh, as we've, got, we've gotten the first four trumpets to sound in chapter 8, anything you want to go back to about that? Just really quick, um, uh, this idea of one-third, um, uh, I don't have a great explanation for why one-third, but if you were reading this and have familiarity with the Old Testament, you might be drawn back to, again, the book of Ezekiel uh, and this judgment scene that's taking place in Ezekiel 5, uh, verse 2, one-third of you uh, shall burn in the fire at the center of the city, um, uh, and then you should take one-third and strike it with a sword, one-third mm -hmm. to the wind. Uh, verse 12, one-third of you will die by the plague, be consumed by famine among you, one-third one by the sword, one-third scattered to the wind. Um, so I think that idea of one-third 
is probably again hearkening back to God's judging wickedness um, like he did in Ezekiel. Well, we've got three trumpets yet to sound, and they are each uh, described as a woe, um, woe, W-O-E, in other words, bad news. Um, chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth angel sounds, and I saw a star from heaven fallen unto the earth, and there was given to him the key of the pit of the abyss, and he opened the pit of the abyss, and there went up a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. All right, before we get to the locusts, any thoughts about verses 1 and 2 either of you would like to get into? Definitely scary. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be that. Yeah. I don't know how strongly to, to make a connection here with Luke, the 10th chapter. I believe it's verse 17, where Jesus sees the devil fallen as lightning from heaven. And, um, and he's talking about the devil's defeat in, in connection with Jesus' victory over death and the resurrection. Um, I, but, I, I would suggest that it's really a pretty good connection because just two verses after that, in Luke 10 and in verse 19, he says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. There you go. And then we're going to see these, these um, locusts having the power, uh, the scorpions of the earth. Well, let's read it. Verse 3. Out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. So there you have that connection. This description of, of the locusts coming in shapes like horses, verse 7, and prepared for war. This is also an idea that we see in the Old Testament, uh, the plague of locusts. But in the book of Joel, there's a day of the Lord described, a judgment that actually was going to come upon God's people in, in the Old Testament. And, uh, it, and it's described as an enemy coming in, the, in described in the form of locusts. And, and there, the book of Joel starts out in chapter one, apparently describing a recent literal locust infestation where everything had been eaten and resulting in famine and the people had been devastated. And the prophet goes back and grabs that recent memory and uses the imagery of, of locusts to represent the invading army that's going to come and defeat them uh, because of their sin as a, a day of the Lord, judgment coming upon, upon them. And there's some similarity in the description of those locusts and these locusts here. Um, so you have this description all the way down through verse 11, and then you get to verse 12. The first woe is past. Behold, there come yet two woes hereafter. So now we've had six of the, uh, I'm sorry, we've had five of the seven trumpets sound. We've got two more to go. Uh, in, anything y'all want to comment on before we go on to the next two? All right, so we come to verse 13, the sixth angel sounds. This is, the, this is all within the seventh, when the seventh seal is opened. This is all part of what is revealed. So we're seeing seven angels, each with a trumpet, each trumpet sounds, and there's judgment being described. So now the sixth one sounds, and I heard a voice from the horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel that had the trumpet, Loose the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed that had been prepared for the hour and the day and year that they should kill the third part of the men. Do you connect these four angels with those four angels back in chapter seven who were told to not let go of the winds? 
Yeah, that, that would be my connection. So, so now think about this. Big picture, the lamb comes. He starts removing the seals from the scroll. He's removed six of them. Before he removes the seventh one, there's a pause to seal God's people and protect them. Then he removes the seventh seal. And within the seventh seal now, within the opening of the seventh seal, there's another crescendo that builds these seven trumpets sound. And we get to the next to the last trumpet within the last seal, or within what is revealed when the last seal is opened. And now the thing that was uh, postponed until God's people could be sealed we're using the word sealed in a different sense here. Uh, it now happens. Those angels let go of those winds and devastation comes. And uh, I guess let's take a moment and read verses uh, 16 through, oh, let's go 16 through the end of the chapter. Let's do that. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and hyacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of God and of silver and of brass and of stone, excuse me, the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Now, when we get to chapter 10, I'm going to skip down to verse 5. And the angel that I saw standing upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his right hand to heaven and swear by him that lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and the things that are therein and the sea and the things that are therein, that there shall be delay no longer. Where are we in the process of, of these judgments? Where are we in the unfolding of all of this? We've had all seven seals now opened. Within the, seventh, within the contents of the scroll revealed when the seventh seal is opened, there are seven angels with seven trumpets. We've now had six of those angels sound. And now this statement is made, delay no longer. I, I go back here at this point to Revelation chapter 6. And when the fifth seal was opened from the scroll, what was seen? Well, there were the souls of those that had been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And in verse 10 of Revelation 6, it says, they cried with a great voice saying, how long, O master, the holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? That was the, the cry. How long? The, the book of Revelation. Yes, we're going through persecution. John writing to his audience, you're going through persecution. I'm going through it with you. We're going through tribulation, but God's going to do something about this. And the cry of the saints is, how long? How long? And you get to chapter 10 when all of the seven seals have been opened. When the seventh seal is opened, there's seven angels with trumpets. Six of them have sounded. And then there's this statement, there's no longer delay, delay no longer. We're there. We're at the victory. We're at on the cusp of the victory. 
And so we're going to see that victory revealed in chapter 11, but we've got some things to talk about before we get there. Anything? Maybe just mention a, a, an idea, and uh, feel free to, to disagree, obviously. Um, so he says there in chapter 10, that no longer will there be delay. So I, I'm sort of uh, provoked to, to think, well, why has he been delaying? Uh, why not just judge? But I think one of the things we see is the long suffering of God. Back in that sixth trumpet in verses, chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, he says, and they still did not repent, and they still did not repent. Um, uh, you know, even as God is pronouncing these partial judgments, what is God's ultimate goal, even for the wicked, that they would repent? God is giving these people opportunities to change, and, you know, you get to the end, and, and to me, verses 20, 21 is almost the exasperated father saying, and they still won't change. It reminds me of Amos chapter 4, where there's a description of God bringing repetitive judgments upon people, but with a view to bring them to repentance. And I, I want to read through this, Amos chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 6. I gave you also cleanness of teeth. Uh, that's not talking about good dental care. That's talking about they didn't have anything to eat, so their teeth were clean. I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city, and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me declares the Lord. I smote you with scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt. I slew your young men by the sword along with your captured horses, and I made the stench of your camp rise up in your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I shall do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. So that's a picture, Joe, I think of the very point you're making. We see God trying to get the attention of people who have turned away from him, by bringing judgments upon them so that they would see their, their, their jeopardy and they would see their need for God. And when they, when they keep resisting, there will finally come a time when God will say, okay, all right, then the end is going to come. All right, well, let's get back to then Revelation chapter 10. Before we get to the description of the victory, before the seventh trumpet sounds, we've got a little bit more to describe here in chapter um, 11. Actually, though, let's get the last few verses of chapter 10. Uh, let's read verse um, 8 through the end of the chapter in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Joe, you're muted. All right, Chase, get it. All right. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, 
it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. He ate a book? Yeah, Ezekiel did the same thing with a similar taste. That's right. That's right. And it, it, and it emphasizes again what so many people miss, and that is that the book of Revelation uh, doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's using language, ideas, figures, themes that we've already seen in the Old Testament, and they inform us how we should think about these things. So in Ezekiel, the third chapter, when God's prophet Ezekiel is supposed to bring a message to God's people who were unfaithful in the book of Ezekiel, and it's not going to be a pleasant message. Uh, he is told to eat the scroll in Ezekiel 3.1. And so in verse 2, he says, I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. In verse 3, he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I'm giving you. And I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Well, God's word is sweet, but you keep reading in Ezekiel, right even in the next few verses, and the message is not going to be a pleasant one. It is sweet because it's God's word, and God is right, and God is just, but it's going to be unpleasant for those who are the subject of the judgments revealed in God's word, and, and we get that maybe more fully borne out here in Revelation chapter 10, those ideas of the sweetness of God's word and yet the bitterness of the consequences for the ungodly. Any other thoughts there, guys? Joe, nope. do, Joe did you get yourself unmuted? I think I did, yeah. Just, just in time for the two witnesses. There you go. All right, let's come to chapter 11. And uh, you know what? Let's, let's walk through chapter 11 just a little bit more slowly. We've got four minutes here. Um, uh, well, let's start through it and let's see how we do. Um, verse one, there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And one said, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So those who worship within the temple of God, who would that be talking about? The priest. The priest. But go back to your point at the beginning of the webcast, Joe. What are we telling us about? That's what we're seeing here throughout this text is this kingdom of priests and uh, those who are faithful servants, um, what God is wanting all of us to be. So we're not just talking about the tribe of Levi? Uh, no, not at all. And we're not just talking about preachers? God had wanted all of his people to be a kingdom of priests. All right. Okay. So, so measuring them is like defining God's people. And then verse 2, the court, which is without the temple, leave without, measure it not. For it's been given unto the nations, and the holy city shall they trod underfoot forty and two months." So we want to do a couple of things here. What's the part about leaving it outside to be trodden underfoot? And then we want to talk about the 40 and two months. Well, well if, I thought we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what would be the outside and what would be the inside if we're talking about God's people? Yeah. Okay. So the outside is those who are, who are going to suffer these judgments because they're outside of God's people. And then the 42 months. So we're going to see different versions of this. 42 months is how many years? Three and a half. Three and a half. So we're going to see 42 months, and then we're going to see three and a half years. And then 
if you take 30 days to a month, 42 months times 30 days would be how many days would be in that period? Well, I'm just going to guess and say 1260. Yeah, 1260 days. And there's another wow. expression which, which we're going to see, and it is time times and a half a time. So if you take a time as a year, then times, plural, could be two and a half would be three and a half. That expression, we first see it back in Daniel, the seventh chapter. And a little bit later on, when we get over to Revelation 12 and 13, we'll go back to Daniel 7. For now, I simply want to say that in Daniel, the seventh chapter, uh, the God's people were described as being given into the hand of the beast for time, times, and a half a time. And so it's a time of affliction when God's people are persecuted. Well, that's what's going on in the book of Revelation. At the very beginning, we said John was being persecuted, and he was writing to these seven churches in Western Turkey. In the first century, they were being persecuted. And so there's this period of persecution. And then verse 3, I will give unto my two witnesses. This is Revelation 11, verse 3. And they shall prophesy. Here we go. Thousand, two hundred three score days or 1260, which is the same as 42 months. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the Lord of the earth. All right, guys, we're going to have to stop here, but here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to come back to this, Lord willing. We're going to pick up right here. We're, we're within the seventh seal having been opened, and we've had six trumpets blow in this time. And now we're, we've got a reference to two olive trees. It's going to take us back to Zechariah and the two witnesses. And we're going to pick it up here, and then we're going to get to the culmination. And then what we'll do is we're going to stop and take stock. Because really, if the book of Revelation ended at the end of chapter 11, you'd feel like it was a complete story. And so we'll stop and take stock and say, okay, what's, what's been said? What's the message? What's this about? And then after that, we'll kind of get into volume two or part two or however you want to look at it in chapter 12. Okay. Does that sound like a plan? Yep. All right, guys. Thank you much. Uh, and thank you all for who who've tuned in or will be tuning into the podcast. Bye-bye.